Well, we have seen John encounter the person of Christ, and Christ in a glorious display in the first chapter of Revelation. Christ communicated to John messages for seven different churches. John has conveyed those messages, and then John sees an open door in heaven. And he walks through that open door into the throne room of God, and he sees God in his glory on the throne, and in his right hand he sees a scroll that contains seven seals. The moment we walked through that door with John and beheld with John through this vision, the one who's seated on the throne holding the scrolls with seven seals, and we saw the Lamb, Jesus Christ, once slain, appearing there worthy and able, having all the authority and the worth to take that scroll from the right hand of the one who sits on the throne and break those seals. The moment we encountered that vision along with John, we entered into a section of Revelation that has created a great deal of speculation and opinion throughout Christian history. And so we're fixing to dig deep in this section of Revelation, going to be there for a while, and I want to encourage you as we walk into this section, some of you may know and some of you may hold positions on the end times as you have personally studied Revelation and to come to conclusions about what all of this means. There are four different labels that represent the four major views on the end times. There are probably a number of you in here that know about these labels. The four different labels are historical premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism, postmillennialism, and awe millennialism. Would anybody else like to try to say millennialism that many times in a row? Not easy. So those are the four different major views. They're all conservative. They're all biblical. If you hold one of those views, nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would encourage you in that because they are conservative, biblical, Christian, orthodox perspectives on the end times. They, they affirm Jesus' virgin birth. They affirm Jesus' actual little death on the cross, resurrection. They affirm his literal bodily return to the earth to bring about judgment. They're very conservative in perspective. They affirm the things we affirm. And certainly if you hold one of those positions, I don't want you to feel like there's anything wrong with that. But the moment I mention those four positions, we create camps in this church service. At least three different camps. Camp number one, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You've never heard this. If you've heard it, you don't understand it. You have no real opinion on it. If you're a Christian, what you believe is Jesus is coming back and you just want to be ready. And all this stuff is really confusing and you're already deciding if this is what he's going to talk about today, I got a grocery list I need to work on. Camp number one. Then there's camp number two. You came in here and you've been waiting for the day when I'd mentioned those four labels. Like you've been saying, what's taking him so long to get to this? And you identify as one of those 
and you know who you are and you're excited about who you are and you study this to, to, to all kinds of degrees and efforts and time and you come into this place and you're ready to hear what I have to say related to those four positions because you are convinced that you're going to help me figure it out along the way. You're taking notes when I preach, not for you, but for me. Making sure that you're going to point out things about things I'm saying that need to be improved upon. So camp number two, you know this stuff and you're highly opinionated about it. Then there's camp number three. You're somewhere between camp number one and camp number two. You, you know a little bit. You have a few opinions about it, but you, you're not sure about all of it. You're interested in it. You, you want to know more. So we're in one of three camps this morning. And what I want to do is I want to remind us that there's a better camp to be in. I'm going to call it camp number four. I'm going to keep encouraging you to spend the greater part of your time in camp number four. Again, there's nothing wrong with holding any of these positions, but I want us to, as a church, to really spend the bulk of our time in camp number four. What is camp number four? Camp number four is where we find common ground. We affirm that God gave us the book of Revelation to more clearly see and understand Jesus. And that by seeing Jesus more clearly than we would see him if we did not have Revelation, we are united together in the person of Christ like never before. We are so captured by him that we want to surrender our lives to following him together as a church family like never before. That we find common ground around being united in the person of Christ. One of the things that I am convinced of is that God does not, did not give us the book of Revelation to divide us. This was not written so that we might sit around and say, well, if if they really understood, like I understand, they would be a lot more like me. And since they're not, we're probably not going to go hang around them much. God did not give us the book of Revelation to divide us. He gave us the book of Revelation to unite us around the person of Jesus Christ like never before. To so clearly see him that we are captured by him and simply want to honor him today. Responding to who he is. God did not give us the book of Revelation to confuse us. There's a lot of people that I have heard describe their experience in Revelation as one of confusion. I want to encourage you. We have not received the book of Revelation to confuse us. We have received the book of Revelation so that we might see what is clearly to be understood and seen in the person of Christ so that our hearts are captured by him so that we abandon our lives for his glory. This is a book given not to divide us, but unite us. Not to confuse us, but to capture our hearts in the person of Christ. And I want to spend the bulk of our time in camp number four, seeing the person of Christ, being united by who we see, and being captured by who he is, so that today our lives are different. I want to remind you, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that there's a blessing for those who read this book, for study this book, who, who really pay attention to this book, but heed what is written in it. The blessing is reserved for those who actually do something because of what they've heard and seen in the book of Revelation. And I want to encourage you to remember 
that every single Sunday we come into this place in our study of Revelation, we are coming here in order to so clearly see Jesus and align our lives with who he is and what he says that we leave this place responding to what we have seen and heard, that we heed the message of Revelation. If, if we don't heed the message, we are negating the blessing that we know God has promised us. And so I want to encourage you this morning to make some effort towards heeding the messenger of revelation. So as you're listening this morning, write down a couple of things that maybe stick out to you, some things that kind of impressed your heart and mind. You think, you know, I want to write this down. I want to think about this further. That, that made sense to me. Or, man, that really helps me where I am right now. Just make a note of something that really impresses your heart and mind. And then decide that you're also going to write down, this is what I see about Jesus. And seeing this about Jesus demands a response from me today. This is what I see about Jesus, and this is my response. Just write down, this is how I want to respond to what I've seen. I want to be careful to heed what God is showing me so that I walk in the blessing of this moment. So take efforts today to get to camp number four and heed what we see and what we hear. All right? All right, let's look at Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting upon it, having a bow, and to him was given a crown, and he went out conquering also so as to conquer. Jesus Christ breaks the first seal on the scroll, and a vision appears to John, a vision of the beginning of the great day of God's wrath. And the vision that appears to John is first a white horse with a rider who rides out. The rider has a bow and a crown. And this rider on this white horse is initiating the great day of God's judgment. And it is given to this rider the authority and the ability to go about conquering. In other words, nothing will stop the great day of God's judgment. You can't stand against it. You can't escape it. You can't avoid it. You can't overcome it. God is going to be victorious, and when his judgment comes, it will come in the form of a conquering victor. And it will come. Verse 3. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to the one seated upon it was given to him to take peace from the earth, so that they will slay one another 
And to him it was given a great sword. After the second horse comes out, after the first horse comes out, the second one, red horse, rider on the horse. And to this rider on this horse was given the ability to remove peace from the earth. And you think about our world right now. There's a lot of things with our world right now that are, that are broken. There's a lot of people in poverty. A lot of people can't get food to eat. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of devastation, a lot of death. There is a lot of problems in our world right now. But God's peace is still restraining the brokenness of our world. God's peace still is on the earth. And there's coming a day when God's wrath will be poured out simply by removing the peace of God from the face of the earth. Can you imagine a world without God's peace restraining anything at all? God's peace is completely removed and nothing restrains the broken hearts that inhabit this world. Unrestrained evil. They will slay one another is a great, great downplay on what it will actually look like when all the peace of God is removed from the earth and all of humanity is enabled to follow the pursuits of their own greed, lust, brokenness, and sin. It will be complete chaos. Verse 5. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and the one seated upon it, having scales in his hand. And I heard, like a voice from the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A measure of wheat for a denarius, or a day's wages. Three measures of barley for a day's wages. And do not bring harm to the olive oil and the wine. This rider on the black horse comes carrying scales, and what he sees there is a depiction of a great change in the economy of the world. And the amounts that are described here are amounts that fit with the concept of an unbelievable famine. Like the amount of money required to buy such small amounts of food are consistent with a worldwide famine. It'd be like you and me going to bed tonight, getting up tomorrow morning. This is what it would be like. If we got up tomorrow morning and decided, hey, I'm going to go get some, some gas in my car before I head on to work, and you stop by the gas station, and you get out to fill it up, and you notice that the prices have jumped from $2 a gallon to $20 a gallon. You get up in the morning, you realize, oh man, we forgot a gallon of milk for, for breakfast. Let's run down to the grocery store. And you run down the grocery store, and you go in, and you realize that that 3 or $4 gallon of milk is now $30 or $40 a gallon. It'd be like you getting your mortgage bill in the mail. And instead of it saying the normal $1,500 for your house payment, it would say $15,000. 
Just multiply every expense you have related to how you take care of yourself by 10. And that's the picture you've got when the black horse arrives and the world is ravaged by famine. The peace of God is removed and people begin to slay each other to the degree that the world goes into chaos so that now people can't even get food to feed themselves for a single day, much less their families. Verse 7. Well, before we get to verse 7, let me mention one thing here about the olive oil and the wine. Notice that he says, don't harm the olive oil and the wine. I think that's interesting because many, many times throughout Scripture when you see God's judgment being levied on a people, there is regularly a display in the midst of judgment of God's mercy. And it is going to be really awesome to see through Revelation that as long as there's an opportunity for people to repent and to turn to God through faith in Christ, even in the midst of the most Harsh judgment, God is going to issue forth moments of mercy, creating a pathway to repentance. We're going to see it several more times through Revelation. You can see it starting in Genesis all the way through the Bible. Every time God issues forth judgment, there is an aspect of his mercy that creates a clear path of repentance to the Lord. And even right here on the great day of God's wrath beginning to unfold, there is a small picture of the mercy of God. What God wants for you and for me, the people around which we live, he wants them to turn to him. And his mercy will always be found as long as there's opportunity for repentance. All right, verse seven. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creatures saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the one seated upon him, to him was given the name Death. And Hades followed after him. And it was given to them the authority over a fourth of the earth, to kill by the sword, by famine, by pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. This fourth rider comes out and he has a name. His name is Death and he has a friend and his friend is Hades. And they are given authority over the earth so that they can take the lives of one-fourth of the world's population. So God's peace has been removed Everything's in complete chaos. And God has given the word that a fourth of all humanity will be destroyed in the chaos because of the removal of God's peace. That's like losing all of China and all of North America like that. Gone. Almost two billion people. Gone. You can't bury that number of people. You can't manage that kind of chaos. Wild beasts will go crazy. The world will be an upheaval. People will be dying everywhere by the hundreds of millions to the tune of almost two 
billion people. And nothing will stop death and Hades from galloping across the world and dragging almost two billion people to the grave. This is only the beginning of the great wrath of God. Do you remember what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18? He said John, when John was completely terrified, like if you're sitting here this morning and this description of what's coming terrifies you, rightly so. But when John was terrified at this prospect of the holiness of Christ, Jesus came and said to John, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Do you know what that means? Do you see who Jesus is? Jesus alone has the authority and the worth to break open the seals that unfold this age to its appropriate end and usher in the age to come. Jesus alone has the authority to unfold every event in all of world history to its appropriate conclusion because he holds it all together. He sustains it all. He is the creator of it all. He is the one who has the authority, the ability, and the worth to unfold everything to its appropriate end and to bring in the age to come. He is the one that is bringing forth his wrath. He is the one that gives the authority to these horsemen. He is the one that brings upon the, the wrath of God and the breaking of these seals. Jesus is the one who's bringing this, and he said, I have the keys to death and Hades. You know what that means? That means that there's not a single person right now in this room hearing this message that has to experience the wrath of God. Not a one. Because Jesus Christ has the keys to death and Hades, you can escape death and Hades. You know what death and Hades is? It's the place where uh, people who have rejected Jesus Christ, who have chosen wickedness, who have chosen their own way, are held together after their death for the judgment of Jesus Christ on their lives. And Jesus has said to you, I have those keys. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you will escape the coming death and judgment. Of Jesus Christ. And what this means for you and me this morning is we see Jesus Christ and his authority and his control of all things and his issuing forth of mercy by demonstrating what's coming is an invitation to trust him. Do you trust Christ? Have you trusted Christ with your life? Because you believe he is in control of everything, every single thing in your life, in our circumstances, in our world, is under the control of Jesus Christ. Do you trust him? Do you believe that he's in control of everything? How are you living? If you think about how you lived this last week, how did you live? Did you live like Jesus Christ is really in control of everything in the world? And your life reflected that because you believe in Jesus. Or, or did what you did last week and how you lived last week, did that look more like, I don't know who's in control. 
I don't know why this is happening. If God, you're in control, why is this happening? Did your life look like maybe you acted like you were in control? Man, if I just work harder, I can fix this. If I just do better, I can make this right. If I just apply myself more, this will come about. How did you live your life this last week? Well, here, in this vision of Jesus, the only appropriate way for us to align ourselves with who he is and what he said is to believe that he's in control of all things and to live every moment of our lives trusting him that he's in control. He's got it all. We can trust him. The first way you've got to decide to trust him is you're going to trust him with every element of your life. Everything. That flows out of whether or not you trusted him for your salvation. Because there is no other way to escape his wrath except through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other escape. Are you trusting him for your salvation? If you made the decision to depend on him completely, more and more, every day, the rest of your life, because there's no other way to escape his wrath. Are you aligning your life with who he is and what he says increasingly over the course of your life because you know there's no one like Jesus? He really has my life in his hands. He has every circumstance, every situation, every unfolding event. He's controlling it all. There's no one better to trust with my life than Jesus Christ. He alone saves. He alone is unfolding. Everything is happening to its appropriate end. I can trust him and be safe. You made that decision. Do you see Christ? If you've made the decision to trust him with all that you are, please do not miss out on the opportunity to take advantage of the peace of God. Do you realize as one who trusts in Christ that Christ has given you a great gift? He has sent his promised Holy Spirit to dwell with you so that you are never without the presence of Christ, the Prince of Peace. We can see in this description what it's like for the world when the peace of God is removed. Do you know what? God has promised his peace in the form of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to be with you at every moment. Not only is the peace of God not removed from our world today, but the peace of God is present in the world today, specifically through those who have trusted in Jesus Christ by way of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the peace of God with you every moment, every day. Take advantage of the peace of God being with you. If I were to go to the bank tomorrow and I were to withdraw some money from the bank, I wanted to withdraw $1,000, say, and I show up at the bank to draw some money, I got two options to withdraw $1,000. I can give them my bank account number and withdraw $1,000 from the bank, to which the teller would say, I'm really glad to have served you today. Enjoy your money, and I will leave, and I'll enjoy that money to my benefit, right? My other option is to show at the bank and show them my gun and tell them I'd like $1,000. Now, I'm going to get the same cash, right? I'm going to get the same $1,000, but my experience is going to be very different when I leave the bank. 
because now I will be rightfully indicted of my wrong and judged for my theft, right? But I'll end with the same cash, different experience. This world is a bank of brokenness. And every one of us are making withdrawals from the world of brokenness every day of our lives. Tomorrow, I will withdraw from the bank of brokenness in my own life by sinning against God. I I don't want to sin against God tomorrow, but you know what? I'm going at some level miss the holiness of God in my life tomorrow. And I'm going to withdraw from the bank of brokenness by my own sin. But because the peace of God is present in my life, by way of my trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the presence of the Holy Spirit, God will convict me of my sin and I will sense the wrongness of my rebellion against God. And God will lead me by his peaceful presence into confessing my sin, not because I'm afraid of his wrath, but because through Jesus Christ I have forever escaped his wrath. No, I'm going to confess my sins in hope that what he has promised, I will experience and taste that he will change me into more and more who he created me be, make me the image of Christ. I will confess my sin gladly because of the presence of the peace of God gives me hope that he doesn't want to leave me in my sin or the devastation of my sin. He wants to change me and I'll experience life change because of the presence of God's peace if if I don't have God's peace in my life if I've not trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior then guess what there is no peace it's not there and we've seen what will happen to the world when the peace of God is removed and guess what every one of us are withdrawing from the bank of the brokenness And if I withdraw from the bank of brokenness in my life and I don't have the peace of God in my life through faith in Jesus Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to happen? That sin will bring more sin. And that sin will bring more sin. And that sin will destroy me and everybody around me. Because when you live absent of the peace of God in your heart, you will experience the same destruction that's coming on the world. Same bank of brokenness, same withdrawal of the currency, massive difference in the outcome. Let's say that I withdraw on the bank of brokenness by somebody else hurting me. It's not my sin that's messed me up, it's somebody else's sin that's broken my heart. And I'm experiencing great pain because of the brokenness of this world. What's going to happen? Well, if the peace of God is with me through my faith in Jesus Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is going to come in and say, I know just what it is to be hurt by this world. My body was beaten, my heart was crushed, and I suffered at the hands of this world so that you'd have a remedy for all your suffering. And because my peace reigns in your life, I'm going to heal your hurt. Someday I'm going to wipe away every tear It's come out of your eyes, and I'm going to make every wrong right. Same bank, withdrawing the same brokenness, 
But the peace of God makes all the difference. If I withdraw on the bank of brokenness because other people's sins in my life and I don't have the peace of God, all that's going to do to me is bankrupt my heart, make me bitter and angry. It's going to break me and lead me to emptiness. But the peace of God takes withdrawals of brokenness that we are each making because we live right here and right now looking towards Christ's return. And the peace of God changes everything. But you got to take advantage of the presence of God's peace. So quit worrying about the fact that you're sinning and you're aware of it and start just responding to the gracious conviction of God and confess your sin before the Lord and let Him change you by His wonderful work by the presence of the Spirit. There is no reason that His people should not experience glimpses and tastes of heaven right now in the redemption of our souls because of the presence of His peace. Get caught up in the pattern of His peace where He convicts you of your sin and you gladly confess your sin and you allow Him to change you and move you more down the line of following him instead of turning away from him. Let the pattern of peace prevail in your life by letting God work in you, taking full advantage of his peace. The other option is the pattern of sin that leads to destruction, that leads to death. And the reason we see Jesus in Revelation is because Jesus wants his peace to make all the difference today.